Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Joe Cook sitting in for Bobby Burton today. And today I am joined by Ian Boyd, our X's and O's expert. Over at InsideTexas.com, Ian made the trek from Michigan to Arlington uh, to join me and Justin Wells at AT&T Stadium to hear from all 10 Big 12 coaches, including Steve Sarkeesian and several members of the Texas Longhorns. So, Ian, how was the uh, the travel back after uh, you and I both left Jerry World? Uh, it was a late night. We got back in Michigan. You know, you lose an hour going back east. And so ready for the weekend yeah I, I got back after uh i think a four-hour drive at 11 p.m and yeah i'm ready for that weekend too but uh there was a lot of good stuff on wednesday and thursday uh from big 12 media days inside texas had a bunch of coverage that you can still find on our site um we we got to talk to the new big 12 commissioner who kind of left an opening for maybe a negotiated exit at some point but that still has to be uh obviously negotiated uh but you and i are obviously a little bit more concerned about what's going to go on on the field and even though texas was on day two that's where we're going to start uh steve sarkeesian uh, Bijan robinson demarvian overshone ovia gofu and roshan johnson all made the trip to arlington and you just put out something uh, uh in these past couple days um, about personnel and also attacking a certain style of defense that's very prevalent in the Big 12. So we'll start on the personnel front. Um, and you made the note when you even asked Steve Sarkeesian that Tom Herman was pretty married to 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. Steve Sarkeesian, not as much married to 11 personnel. Uh, what did you make of his answer to, to the question that you asked about, you know, whether you have one tight end, one running back, two tight ends, one running back, you know, maybe no tight ends at all. What did you make from his um, answer to your question. Yeah. Well, so Herman was married to 11 personnel because he was married to tempo. And, uh, if you stay in the same personnel group and you do all your offense from the same personnel, you never have to stop and sub. And so the defense cannot sub either, um, unless they're good at doing it really fast. You can really wear teams out. And that was, you know, Herman's Herman's deal. Steve Sarkeesian is not as married to tempo as a uh, he, he sees it as one way to attack a defense and not the only way. Um, uh, that makes Herman sound bad, but it's just a difference in philosophy. Sarkeesian wants to be able to mix in multiple personnel groups. He wants to go 12 personnel. He wants to get light. He wants to get big. And um, it's just not as much oriented around being able to go fast all the time. Although he did mention that they do want to go fast at times and you wonder if maybe they'll go fast more often this year uh, because they're likely to be good at it. They probably want extra plays to run because they have so many different good skill players. And then they have that team Alabama coming up, 
it, it generally, if you want to play with Alabama, it's a good idea to go a little faster so you can try to wear them out and not get just pummeled by their pass rush. So we, we saw, I, we kind of have an idea of what each personnel group may look like. You know, if it's 11, it'll be Bijan Robertson and one of the tight ends. If it's 12, you know, that could take a, a, a different form. Um, you could have a blocking tight end and a receiving tight end, but again, there's still going to be one back. 20 personnel, if they run it, uh, Bijan Robinson, Rashawn Johnson, maybe as your top two, mix in Keelan Robinson there somewhere. But he mentioned something I found really interesting and that I think a lot of fans have maybe hankered for for a while, but it hasn't made a ton of sense until maybe this year. And Steve Sarkeesian said something about how maybe 10 personnel is something that could work for them this year. What, what do you think of that? And I, I have another question as it pertains to Jaleel Billingsley, who I'm not sure where it, he fits into all this, but what do you think of the idea of maybe running 10 personnel looks? Could that be Nayor, Worthy, Whittington, and maybe someone like Ajay Hall? Is that something that's feasible this year for Texas on conventional downs and third downs? Well, it's definitely feasible. Uh, they have, you know, more than enough guys to do it. Although when he said, he said, uh, his quote was like, um, there are people in my building who think we should be in 10 personnel a lot. And I, I wanted to be like, well, are those people, Ajay Hall and Tariq Milton, you know, are, is that, is Jordan Winnington one of those, you know, these guys that stand to play more, the more receivers they play. But um, they have, to that point, they have a lot of good receivers that they could play in 10 personnel. Uh, the only trick with it is that, um, you're a little more limited in the run game in 10 personnel, unless you're counting Bijan as one of those receivers and you're flexing him in and out. I don't think that's what Sarkeesian had in mind, although they will do that. Um, so you, you, you don't have as many options to run the ball and you might end up having to run your quarterback a little bit if you do 10 personnel. And uh, I mean, they could do that. I mean, Quinn Ewers and Hudson Card can both definitely run and, and mix in some of that scheme, but that's not really been Sarkeesian's thing in the past. So you would think with a team like this, with Rashawn Johnson and Bijan Robinson and some of the tight ends they have, that they would stay a little bigger and, and run the ball more often. But I mean, no one's going to be shocked if they have some 10 personnel sets because they have. I mean, what if Ajayi Hall this fall is one of their best receivers? Like, you got to get these guys on the field if they can win you games. So this is, this is his conundrum. It's not how do we find 11 guys that are good. It's how do we limit ourselves to 11 guys, you know? Exactly. I guess, so to get to that point about Jaleel Billingsley, they updated the, the Texas football roster yesterday. I um, mean, you had some good content about that where Jaleel Billingsley, he's not a big guy. I mean, if you look, I mean, granted, he's tall, but he's not a thick tight end. You're not expecting him to put his hand in the dirt and make, you know, seal blocks on the edge very often. And or, or if you are, you may be miscasting him in his role. Is he someone that could kind of fit into that 10 personnel grouping but also still function as a tight end or is he just going to be someone that because of his ability his varying abilities is this going to try to fit in as a hybrid player maybe in between personnel packages that's you know, I, that's probably the question of fall for him right um 
I think he can block some. They could play 11 personnel with him swinging in and out of the backfield. Um, you wonder if he came to Texas thinking that that would be the plan. But the problem was that they, they had this guy, JT Sanders, who's a five-star athlete who's, who's putting it together. And they have Gunnar Helm, who's a good blocker. So um, I think when they signed Billingsley, I assumed that they would probably regularly mix in 10, 11 personnel hybrid sets where he's splitting the difference. And so if you place him real small, they might ask him to block. But if you tried to play him big, they would just flex him out and shoot you up. And um, it would definitely stand to reason they might do that some. But it's hard to see that having as big a role in the offense as it would have if they hadn't also seen JT Sanders grow so much and if they hadn't also signed Jai Hall and, and you know just all these and if, if they didn't if their team leader wasn't their backup running back Rashawn Johnson who needs to be on the field whenever possible so right and the the idea of Rashawn Johnson leading from not the starter not the backup that's something we'll We'll definitely explore, but he's obviously a player good enough to stay on the field for most teams and honestly even for the Longhorns too. Um, the other thing that you touched on in this, in, in one of your pieces on Inside Texas, was about uh, how Steve Sarkeesian attacks what you call the flyover defense, and that's the three high safety, uh, three down linemen uh, in various set or not, not settings, but alignments. Uh, but the 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 call the calling card is three high safeties. Um, and some the point you've often made is that one of the reasons the flyover defense works is not only do you have a lot of speed coming from depth to attack, you know, maybe a swing pass, maybe a run. Uh, hard to outrun a lot of those guys, uh, no matter where the ball is. But it comes from awkward angles, uh, at least as far as. Um, you know, conventional rules for offenses are concerned. And you asked Steve Sarkeesian about that. Um, and I think one of the points he made, the first point he made um, was, goes back to that Arkansas game um, and a little bit also to the, the Iowa State game. Uh, but the, it was made very apparent in the Arkansas game. What's what one of the biggest ways to combat this defense is? And it's something that Texas may have to rely on a lot of young guys and able to do that this year. Um, yeah, the, the main way that he mentioned was that you have to beat them up front. You have to block their three down linemen and you have to, uh, Dave Aranda actually spoke to this as well because he talked about why he ran multiple tight end run offense now at Baylor rather than trying to run the LSU offense where they were five wide all the time and Joe Burrow was just picking people apart. And um, it, it comes down to if teams are going to sit back with three high safeties and, and play a lot of speed on the field and off the ball, you got to be able to dominate them at the point of attack so that you can start drawing all those defenders downhill and then you can throw it over their heads. Um, so that was what Sarkeesian was laying out and he was noting that they could not block really any of those three teams that I mentioned, which were Arkansas, Iowa State and Oklahoma State. Texas struggled to block the three down defensive lines from all three teams. So they, um, they weren't able to create the conflict they needed to throw it over their heads very often. I will say that I think actually it's a better way to attack that defense is to just keep spreading them out. 
because the reason teams play that defense is they don't want to be spread out and they don't want to be isolated in space one-on-one because they don't have the athletes. And so they just put enough of them back there to where you can't find the easy spots to pick on their lesser athletes in space. And I actually think Steve Sarkeesian knows that too, because he dialed up some five wide shots to take it over the top on all those teams. And they Texas just missed the throws. And I think we can all remember plays where they had guys running wide open, um, especially against Iowa state and Arkansas and also against Oklahoma state. Although uh, Casey Thompson hit one against Oklahoma state to uh, Marcus Washington, I believe. But um you know, Sarkisian doesn't want to. He doesn't want to put all his cards in the deck and and telegraph to those teams exactly he's, how he's going to get after them. And he's not wrong either. If you if you want to throw it on those teams and throw it over the top, you gotta you gotta punish him for playing fewer guys up front. And if you're Texas and his whole deal of wanting to have Texas be a big, mean, physical team in the trenches, you better be able to uh, make good on it if a team is going to play back, like especially to the extent Arkansas did. But, um, but yeah, I, I would be wary of I, – I think he knows the other way as well, and I think we will see it, even if he doesn't want to telegraph it. And even with Arkansas not on the schedule this year, uh, something we learned at Big 12 Media Days is Texas is probably going to see this defense three times this year because K-State uh, is starting to implement it a little bit more under Chris Kleiman um to like you mentioned they I think one of their deficiencies and one that you mentioned is their secondary well like you said if you have lesser athletes you can play this defense um and be able to utilize the strong front that they do have um in order to try and make this work um you also kind of poked and prodded on the on the defensive side of the ball and one of the questions that you and I both walked into Jerry World trying to find an answer to was what's going to be DeMarvin Overshone's specific role. Uh, he had the spring to be a linebacker, to go through 15 practices as a linebacker, which won a, a shoulder injury, I think, in 19 cost him. And then uh, or at least a shoulder injury last year cost him. And the pandemic cost him in 2020. He goes through spring practices as a linebacker, uh, learns that is sitting right around, I think, in the 230, right around hovering around that weight. But we learned yesterday uh, on, on Thursday that he may not have a conventional middle linebacker role. Um, he may be deployed in, in a number of different ways. Uh, what, what do you make of that considering his, you know, meager success as a middle linebacker and some of the other deficiencies that this defense had over the past couple of years? Do you like that move uh, considering maybe guys like Jalen Ford David Benda, Diamante, Tucker, Dorsey are going to step into his place in the middle if he's moved around some. We are actuaries. In a world filled with unpredictability, we use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere. And according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Yeah, I, um, I've heard that he will probably play still more of a will linebacker position a lot of the time, but I, they clearly want to get him on the edge, it, at least on passing downs and maybe more regularly. You know, I kind of wonder if they'll go into fall and just kind of put him on the edge more and see what happens and, and what works best. Um, 
I like that move for him because I don't think he's really a natural inside linebacker. His strengths are um, his speed, his length, and uh, his reach, and um, his physicality. And um, when he's playing an inside linebacker, he has to uh, read things quickly in front of him. And when he engages blockers, he has to do it like more in a broom closet. When he's on the edge, he has more space where it's, you know, you can go around the guy and then you can use the threat of going around the guy to try to get past him. You can't really do that in inside linebacker when you're, you're trying to get where the running back is going. Whereas, like, you know, the quarterback's a little more stationary. I just think so many of his skill sets translate more to playing with space outside of him to utilize like he would on the edge. And then additionally, Ovia Gofu mentioned that he has a lightning quick first step. When they gave him uh, reps in the spring at rushing the edge, they were like, this guy's, he's good at this. And Texas really needs guys that are good at it. They didn't have anybody that was great at it last year. Probably Ogofu was probably the best one. Um, and I'm sure they would upgrade there if they could. So uh, I'm a big fan of it. I, I'm curious to what extent it will define his season. Is it, is this, will it be situational? Will it be more full-time? Uh, there are people on the program that think maybe he could hold up there, you know, more often than you might think. Uh, but we'll, we'll see what they, we'll see what they make of it in fall. I, I wonder if it's something that they'll, that they're still working out. One thing that really encouraged me, encourages me about that move is all the things that you've mentioned, uh, the, the athleticism, first step, that type of thing. Something he mentioned uh, at media days was, this is playing in the box is a big change for him. And it's one that he wanted to make, but it's still a big change considering he was a safety at ARP. He was a safety for most of his first year. And then he started to move closer and closer to the line of scrimmage without having uh, granted he's had plenty of game and practice reps now, but there hasn't been as much, maybe I guess instruction in this defense as he maybe needs in order to be successful. I do like that he has the mentality of, you know what, I need to be around the line of scrimmage a little bit more. And also he has the mentality of, I want to be versatile and do whatever the team needs. And he just has the athleticism to do that. I, I'm, I'm encouraged by it, but I'm still very curious because of the, the downstream effects, because, you know, there's been a lot of positive press about Jalen Ford and even, um, Overshone and Ovia Gofu had great things to say about Tucker Dorsey, but he's unproven a little bit in coming up from James Madison. David Benda is unproven in come in 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 at a, at a middle linebacker role. There's a lot of I'm not concerned about him fitting that role as I'm concerned about what happens in his wake when he moves outside uh, from those middle linebacker spots. Well, if he doesn't if he doesn't do it full time, if he, if he's just a if, if he stays at will linebacker and just walks down and blitzes the edge more, then um, that's not a concern. Although if he's doing that on first and 10, that means that, you know, safeties are backfilling behind him. So now you're worried about how well uh, Anthony Cook or Jaron Thompson or Keaton Crawford are offering run support. Um, I think that that will be answered relatively positively, but that's, I mean, you some fans are talking regularly like that was one of the biggest issues on the team last year. Mm -hmm. I, I don't actually agree, but it wasn't not an issue. Right. Um, and then uh, honestly, if he were to 
just dominate on the edge this fall. And they're like, you know what? He's just the Jack. He's the full-time edge this year. Um, I don't know. The overshone that we've seen the last couple of years at inside linebacker is not really a guy I'd be that worried about replacing. Because quite frankly, he just hasn't actually been that good at it. He makes flash plays now and again because he's a tremendous athlete and he's physical, but he didn't really know the position very well. So it's very inconsistent. He would, I, it, I think Paul actually put it this way once. I'll, I'll credit him whether he did or not, but I think he did. He often would uh, make plays that you don't expect a linebacker to make, but then not make plays that a linebacker has to make. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if replacing him with Benda or Tucker Dorsey is actually that scary, to be honest. Now, maybe, um, maybe he might be ready for a breakout where he's awesome in that role this year. And so there's actually an opportunity cost that would be really steep. But um, I'd be more worried about the opportunity cost of not sending him off the edge if he's good at that. Yeah, it's it's like you mentioned all the time, athletes in space. It, that's where you want to put them so they can make those plays. Uh, anything else from what Steve Sarkeesian or uh, Bijan, Demarvion, Roshan, Ovi? Anything else they said, or uh, you want to move a little bit into some of the other things we heard from the other nine teams there at Big Twelve Media Days? Maybe just that they were obviously all selling the line of like we are way more comfortable in year two. Like really in every facet, like the leadership is more comfortable. The players are more comfortable. The important leaders on the team are more comfortable being leaders of the team. They're known for the first, I mean, just to go from that point, they're known. Replacing (laughs) Sam Ellinger was kind of a theme. Like we've, we figured out how to replace Sam Ellinger. Um, Comfort within the scheme on defense. And Sarkeesian, one of his big talking points was, uh, you know, he didn't, he, he instituted big changes knowing there could be hiccups in, in, in a preferring to build a stronger foundation for a, a bigger house, so to speak, rather than trying to build on the old foundation. Um, any coach might say that after five and seven in year one, you know, so the proof's in the pudding, but I, I, do believe there's at least something to that yeah and it it also just illustrates something i always talk about i'm a broken record at this point first years suck they're not good and i think texas fans have been spoiled in the fact that uh some of the previous first years that they can kind of remember have heisman trophy winners it's not common to have earl campbell and ricky williams on your on your roster when you're taking over as a head coach, more often than not, you're replacing a not great situation for whatever reason, like Charlie Strong did. He went six and six, like Tom Herman did. He went, what, seven and six? Well, Strong went six and seven. Herman went seven and six. And then Sarkeesian's right in that little margin of error, error going five and seven. First years aren't fun. Stacking first years that often aren't fun. And you have to make a lot of decisions in order to try and get the best out of your program. Sarkeesian thinks he made the right one in trying to do things more his way than, than the Herman way. Um, I feel like anybody who is still on the roster now believes that as well. And like you said, the proof's in the pudding, but I, I'm a little bit more, I remember I was asked about this on the inside Texas boards earlier today. 
you know, we hear this storyline a lot. What's different this year? And my response was, I feel like the, the characters in this version of the story, they're more reliable than some of the other characters that have been uh, involved in this process in years past. And that's not a knock at Sam Ellinger, but it's just to say that there's more this year. You have a centralizing figure like Rashawn Johnson. By the way, Bijan Robinson's there. You have a lot of old guys on defense who may not be, you know, great players, but who've been in this program for a while and um, have a voice that that fits in there alongside Roshan. I, I, I have the sense that there's a, a ensemble cast of characters that help this process this year a little more than just having one centralized figure uh, from years past who had to shoulder so much of the load himself. So, um, all right, we, but rest of the Big 12 had some interesting things. I think as a Texas fan, especially considering they're going to be in the future conference, uh, the SEC along with Texas, is the Oklahoma Sooners. And uh, Brent Venables is trying to drink from the fire hose, I believe, and uh, filibustered his way on the stage at, at Big 12 Media Days. But did you get any big high-level takeaways from – uh, the man who it did the one thing that I heard, at least from Big 12 Media Days, was that Brent Venables was not locked into calling the Oklahoma defense, which I kind of view as maybe a peculiar step in, in year one under Brent Venables, who has been one of the best defensive play callers of, of this century. He, he definitely. It, it, tell me if this is what you're getting at. It, it didn't sound like he was selling Oklahoma as like a favorite. Right. Even though so many people look at that helmet and see OU and see a, a roster that has a lot of players from the past few years, it's yeah. missing key contributors like, I don't know, Caleb Williams, replacing them with Dylan Gabriel. And it's a different look, different defense, different offense. I, I think he did try to make the point to say, look, I'm trying to win as much as I possibly can now, but I'm not going to say I'm going to get back to Arlington j just as easy as all as my predecessor seemed to do on a consistent basis, especially in year one. Yeah, that's definitely the sense I got. Um, they are, I mean, they're missing important positions on this team. Like they're nickel. Uh, they don't have the, they don't have this guy that he's relied on at Clemson or that he would, utilized at Oklahoma in the past, that Roy backer kind of nickel linebacker hybrid. They don't have that guy uh, unless it's a true freshman. Um, they don't have the NFL first round pick quarterback. We saw Dylan Gabriel walking around and he's a solid, I think he's a really solid player, but he doesn't look like, you know, Jalen Hurts. He's not a big guy. He's not the same kind of uh, physically dominant athlete that they've tended to have in that position. He's a much smaller, uh, a much smaller player who's you know been in the G five, and um, yeah, the filibuster was interesting. I don't know if that's his normal strategy and approach, or if it's a uh, if it was a I don't want to take a lot of questions about my team this year kind of deal. But he definitely was, I mean, the things that I was hearing was like, hey, we have like 30, 40% of our rosters never worn an Oklahoma jersey. We're not going to be where we were at at Clemson on defense, but 
we're going to do the best we can and we'll get there and we'll build to it. And uh, I don't know what he said about offense, but to me, their offense certainly doesn't look like it has in the last couple of years either. So, you know, they have talent on that roster. They can make us look like fools if we doubt them too much. But I, to my eyes, they look like they look very vulnerable. And it sounded like Venables was uh, setting the stage for a trust the hashtag trust the process after some disappointing season losses from, from where I sat. There's going to be an old big eight game very early. And uh, that's going to be important for both those the schools involved with Oklahoma and Nebraska, uh, not just for Venables and I guess building some, some good pub. I, I, that's not the right word, but that's just what comes off the top of my head. If you can beat Nebraska in year, in year one, no matter what form Nebraska is in right now, you're going to build some credibility among your fan base, but it may not mean they make it back to Arlington considering some of the, pitfalls that could that they could run themselves into especially if they get undone by injury um, but going a, a little bit south on i-35 at this point uh, we can go past tcu because sunny dykes has an intriguing roster but there, there was a lot i mean gary patterson was let go for a reason it's because things seem to be sliding downhill more and more every year and they brought in sunny dykes but as far as let's go to waco um, and I think outgoing commissioner Bob Bowlesby said it pretty, pretty well, which, Hey, if I'm complimenting him, that says a lot. Baylor went from being the hunter entering last season as picked as eighth in the big 12 to being the hunted. They're picked as number one. And one of the big questions asked about the Baylor bears was that quarterback. This is a team that has a successful you know, Dave Aranda is a bona fide star when it comes to defensive play calling. Jeff Grimes, our offensive coordinator, has built a system with very experienced players still in the trenches who are doing, who are, have done well and will probably continue to do well. But they're putting their chips in the black basket of Blake Shapin, who's replacing Gary Bohannon. Would you take not just from that decision, but from everything else Aranda said, especially as it pertains to offensive philosophy? Well, he's definitely pretty comfortable with what they're doing. I got that sense from talking to him. He's a very honest and candid guy. Um, you wondered, like, why are you announcing your decision about quarterback after the spring? Like, don't you want to drag us out in the fall in case one of these guys leaves? But um, it does seem like he, he wanted the best for Gary Bohannon. He wanted to be, him to be able to transfer and play somewhere else if he could, if he wasn't going to be the guy even at the expense of Baylor. Um, that's, that's the sense I got. Uh, I don't know if that's quite right or not. You could even argue if that's even the right thing to do as a Baylor head coach, but I think that Aranda uh, cares about his players, is a very thoughtful guy, and, he, and not just in terms of uh, interpersonal dynamics, but certainly with strategy. Their strategy is very carefully thought out, and um, he knows that they can maintain big physical bodies in the trenches to run their scheme and then just plug in athletes around them and have a chance to be consistently good. I think that they are going to be probably better this year on offense than you would think, given the amazing athletes that left and were drafted to the NFL. But at the same time, I do expect them to drop off 
and uh, Aranda maybe a little a little hard to read, but I don't think he'd be shocked if they fell off a little bit as well. Like I said, that offensive line helps, and I think you made a point in Arlington that said, hey, they took a converted linebacker and made him a 1,000-yard rusher. So yeah. there are benefits to that system, but it's a – and I think Scipio Tex wrote about this. It's hard to figure out what's going on with Baylor sometimes. You'd think, oh, they're a volatile program. It's not that. They've had a lot of turnover, but whether they're going to be able to replicate being a CFP contender while still kind of riding a successful – um trajectory we'll see how high that trajectory can go uh this upcoming year oh i gotta their go boom, sorry their boom and bust cycles on talent and achievement um i think this is partly incidental but it, it, it the correlation is there for a reason their best years tend to be the years where they get you know texas and oklahoma at home now, last year they got iowa state texas and oklahoma and waco and uh, this coming year they get you know, all three of those teams on the road. And that makes a big difference, especially when you're turning over at quarterback and some of your playmaking skill talents on both sides of the ball. Their trenches will be there. We know that. That's what they're banking on. But, you know, your trench guys kind of set up other people to make plays. And they can make it a lot easier for them, but this, those other guys still got to make the big uh, highlight sports center plays. Mm-hmm. And they're counting on all new guys to make those plays on the road in Norman and Austin and Ames. Um, that's that's a tougher that's a tougher sell. Conference seems as as up for grabs as it's ever been, and ever. Uh, you just launched uh, your Substack, uh, America's War Game, which will have you've already has coverage from Big Twelve Media Days. We'll definitely have more. We'll have more coverage from in, uh, from Big Twelve Media Days on on Inside Texas, and of course, be sure we'll have some more discussion of uh, storylines that came from Arlington here. On, on Texas football, be sure to like this video, subscribe to this channel, uh, give Inside Texas a try over at InsideTexas.com. Once again, go check out America's War Game and check Ian at Twitter uh, at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd. I'm Joe Cook. You can find me on Twitter at JosephCook89. And this has been another edition of On Texas Football. Ian, anything else before we head out? Nope. I'm looking forward to fall camp starting so we can get some fresh, you know, fresh inputs and information. Got a little bit fresher stuff and to get some player input always helps, but I'm with you. I'm ready to see the pads come on and not just hear about uh, summer workouts. So for Ian Boyd, I'm Joe Cook. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you next time. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7.